In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an amazing guest here with me. Matt, how are you, my friend? It's very good. I'm very blessed. Amen, my friend. I'm so inspired by you and all the awesomeness that you're doing in your world, and you're so dynamic in your realm. I'm just like burning to know your story. Honestly, I'm like, how did Matt get there? Start you off with the most loaded question. Oh, God. What inspired you on your journey to where you are today, my friend? You know, I'm just, I'm one of those people that has an internal motor that I can't turn off. I'm very lifestyle focused. So like that's tempered by the fact that I also want to go take a nap after this, but you know, like for about four hours a day, I'm the most driven person you'll ever meet. You know, I, I was that guy that I picked up the drums when I was two years old. I picked up the piano somewhere along the way. And so when I was in my teenage years, I was working full time and I would make out these practice schedules to make sure that I maximized the number of off hours and squeezed in every second of potential practice split between those two instruments. Like that's, that's the kind of person I am. So the drive just comes from, it's a weird internal place. I actually don't, I can't put my finger on exactly what motivates me other than I just can't stop building and making progress. That's amazing. So question then, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a pastor, a missionary or something along those lines, because I grew up as a pastor's kid, homeschooled pastor's kid. So business was not on my radar at all. I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks in a dumpy little city. My dad had a a smallish church, 100 people or so. And so I expected to go down that path. I didn't know anyone who went to college I didn't know anyone who ran a business. Caught, I didn't go to college. It was weird because it was just not even in the realm of possibility. All like it was a blue collar town. All my family and friends were blue collar people. So I didn't have any expectation to get into this at all. That's crazy. So you were completely homeschooled as a kid until through high school, I'm assuming. Through high school, up until junior year of high school, I parachuted into like a smallish private school, 40 kids, like my entire high school class fit into one classroom. So that was the one, like I didn't have a traditional experience. That was the closest thing I had to it. And then I was out of there. I did one year in my junior year and then left and got a GED. So I was out of school at 15, 16, 15. Wow. Yeah. 15. And then you mentioned that college just wasn't even like a thing. No, I went and worked for an insurance company. It was the same company my mom was working for at the time when she jumped back into the workforce after homeschooling us. Yeah. So I went and worked for that insurance company and got into like corporate training and stuff like that. That was my college years was just working. I was making more money than any of my, any of my friends at that time, which is great. But uh, yeah, I, I skipped out on college. So I hit that that ceiling where you can't go higher in the traditional corporate world without a degree. Mm. And I started running up against that. And that's when I looked at okay, real estate investing led me to Gary Keller's book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. I said, well, screw investing. I'm going to go build a team. So I started working on a team and then 07 happened. And I said, okay, that that was fine for them, but I, I don't love enough about real estate to like stay, to like hang in through the crash. I realized afterwards that I liked the marketing and the team building part. Like that's the part that drew me to the whole real estate team space. And that came around later. But yeah, after the crash, I basically said, you know, It was always in the back of my head that I would do something in music, but I don't want to do it in the whole church realm. 
you know, what am I going to do with it? So I started just practicing and uh, ended up practicing like five hours a day, kind of retouching my roots as a musician. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to do something with this. So I joined a band and then another band and then another, and then I ended up in four bands. So I chased the dream for about five years, pushed it as far as, as far as I could. So in that sense, I have no regrets. Like I, I took the big, I took the big swing. Four bands. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, it's so funny that you mentioned real estate because you know that that's, that's my arena. And then what yeah, you said too. before about the insurance realm and just the corporate world realm of like, how does a piece of paper define your hustle is my question. How does a piece of paper define my hustle? No, I mean like, like in the corporate world, degree? right? That, that you need oh, a degree. degree. You could have someone who's an absolute hustler, has a willingness to learn and these things that you can't learn in school, but they can't move up or help this company because they don't have that piece of paper. It drives me bananas. It's absolutely insane because I like within the agency, I'll hire whoever. I don't care whether they have a degree or not. I don't care whether I don't care whether they're in this country or not. I had an interesting experience in the very early days of my agency. One of the very last things I got off of my plate for my own podcast was writing the show notes because I'm a natural writer. I love writing. So it's one of the last things that I hired. And I narrowed down the candidates because I advertised for it internationally. I had it came down to two candidates, one in South Africa and one in the United States who was a homeschool mother of four with a journalism degree from like the University of Missouri, one of the good journalism schools. I'm like, oh, this girl is going to blow the other one out of the water, right? Journalism degree, been writing for 20 years. Nope. The gal from South Africa kicked her butt because I gave him a real audition test. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to hire the one that did better. She's still my director of content to this day. Four years later, she crushed it. Don't know what degree she had. I think she does have a degree, but she didn't have a journalism degree from one of the top schools in the country, right? Like she just outperformed. And there was a lot of occasions when I was in the corporate world, when I ran up against that limit and I'm looking at the person above me going, I will absolutely crush that person if it's a fair evaluation, but it's not. And so I'm like, I'm just going to go out into the world. And I'm glad because it, it forced me out into the world of being an entrepreneur. And that little flirtation with real estate in 06, 07, circled back around later to the agency I joined up that worked with a lot of the top agents and it introduced me to all the people that ended up being clients and friends of mine to this day, like Jeff Cohn. So it all came back around and thank God I didn't, it wasn't able to like go up the ladder in insurance because maybe I'd still be there and I'd be a much less happy person. Yes. Amen to that. Amen to that. And do you think that that is shifting in the world? A little yeah, bit. I do. I think we're on the precipice of a huge shift. Like speaking of the gal in South Africa. So both of her parents are university professors in Zimbabwe, very traditional, very focused on get your education, either go be an engineer, go be a doctor, go be a lawyer, or, you know, work for a big multinational, like it's very traditional. So she's been working online for like five years. And they're con- they were up until the pandemic, they were asking her like, Hey, you know, when are you going to you know stop this dabbling with working from home stuff and go get a real job, you know, even, you know, partially teasing, partially not. Right. And then the pandemic hit and they're like, okay, we get it. So when stuff like that happens and I hear stories like that, I'm like, good. Like it's finally starting to shift. Right. Well, I was reading stats yesterday. So I don't know if you're familiar with Regis, the co-working company. Yeah. Yeah. They're saying by 2030, 77% of people are looking for an office close to their home. (laughs) One thing right now. And then another thing by 2030, there's going to be a ridiculous demand for office, like basically like co-working space. I forget what the exact yeah. number and I'm like- I think that, oh. and just for real estate, like you'll see three bedroom homes will now be 
two bedrooms in an office. Like they'll only yeah. work for people that have one kid because they'll need that third bedroom for an office and, and up until four and five bedroom homes will now become like more standard because one of those will have to be an office for one of the two parents who now works from home. And yeah, then co-working spaces, like I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I could see a lot of, I don't know what you think about commercial real estate, but yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot of slack in commercial real estate that probably needs to be soaked up and maybe co-working spaces will help because holy cow, there's a huge bu bubble in that, in that area and who knows what's going to soak it up. But yeah, I, I could see that being a massive change and for the better. And that's going to like people working from home, the university degrees not being such a big thing anymore. And like in my agency, I know when they're doing a good job, either they produce or they don't. Right. Cause everything comes down to like two or three key metrics that I keep track of. Like it, when in the history of the human race, have you been able to like evaluate whether somebody's doing a good job from a thousand miles away without babysitting them? That's going to change a lot of stuff. And some people are going to lose their jobs. And, but the, ultimately the people that are really good and produce are going to rise to the top and make more money. And the people that don't will make less. So that'll be, it'll be good for some and bad for others, but ultimately for, for society, it'll be a very good thing that you can tell who's producing and who's not. Man, I love it. I love it. Well, it's just so interesting to see where the world is going. And I talk to entrepreneurs about this because I truly feel like the world is storming towards entrepreneurship, like slowly. Yeah, like Everyone's too. kind of starting to create their own, their own business or their own thing. Or like, there's never been so much interest. Like, so I graduated from college in 2013 okay. undergrad. And I remember when I graduated, I was the first one in school history to create a major for entrepreneurship. First one. Really? In the entire school history, I like did an interdisciplinary studies and I made it all entrepreneurship. And they're like, well, how entrepreneurial of you to be like the first one, to do, <laughs> you know, and like, because I was like, I don't want to minor in it. I was like, I want to major in it. And then I did it yeah. with a double major with communications because they tie in so well. Mm -hmm. I mean, the best communicators in the world are the most successful. So it was interesting. And, and, you know, I went back and I go and speak to my alma mater, Stonehill College, all the time. And seeing the amount of students have entrepreneurship as their minor was mind-blowing i was yeah. like what like huh. yeah like 10 out of the 30 students in the class would be majoring in that and i'm like and like the era of the side hustle and just all these things so it's the mm. coolest thing and i always love getting the That's opinion awesome. of that you know because i mean you started that at a young age as well you know getting into mm -hmm. the entrepreneurial realm yeah sort of although yeah uh, although i didn't come back to it until my mid-30s and that's when it actually took off and worked well for me but uh yeah so i mean like i'm seeing because i run an internship like occasional internship program yeah. whenever and i need like an infusion of talent into the agency and so I, I work with and i get to talk to a lot of kids that are either last couple of years of school or just a couple years out of school right right in that three to four year time range so mid-20s and i've noticed like in the last year or year and a half like the talent level that you can get in my little corner of like getting people to freelance for you, the, the talent level has skyrocketed. Like yeah. I'm getting people coming into my internship program that are willing to work for 12 bucks an hour who have already launched a podcast, you know, like already booked guests, like they've already done some of this stuff or they work for a financial advisor firm and they launched the podcast right. and the social media for that firm. The talent level is just insane. And I think that's because they're starting to realize that there's more freedom and more control in cobbling together two or three or four freelance gigs than yeah. in going and working for a quote unquote good company. Now, one of my guys that went through my internship program, he helped me build out some of the internal systems and he is amazing. He went and got a job with a startup. It's like, well, that's cool. Like, yeah, go work full time for a startup that's moving fast and breaking things and doing some, some cool stuff, right? Like, go do that. Absolutely. But a lot of other people his age are just cobbling together things, which is an amazing, amazing development for entrepreneurship and business in general. I love it.
Yeah, no, it's so fascinating. And, and speaking of your entrepreneurship, you said you bounced back on it in your mid thirties. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what motivated you to do that? I mean, I know you mentioned your job. There was one big shift. So, and it has to do with, with kind of the online marketing and music world. So anyway, towards the tail end of my career in music, as I'm building this skill set of like, you know, marketing music and taught myself how to build websites and use social media to promote, promote music, I started to realize and I started to look at the business models basically of independent musicians that actually make money. I'm like, okay, they're spending 80% of their time marketing and in the business side and only 20% of the time making music. Like I could do that and I could make 25 grand a year, 30 grand a year. I'm like, that sounds terrible. How about I go take the marketing skill set and go use it in business and then still spend 20% of my time making music and just do the stuff that I want to do for fun, basically. Mm -hmm. So that was that was the shift. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go do that. So I just kind of, I don't know, like I wasn't really actively looking, but I kind of started keeping my eye out for things. And I answered one and only one ad. And it was for this digital agency that was based in my hometown. The CEO and I got on a call that night after I sent my, after I reached out to them, we ended up talking for an hour that first night. He ended up being one of my best friends. And I got to be with that agency for them starting the journey of going from like hundred clients a month to 500 clients a month. And wow. I either worked there or as friends with the CEO and helped him like, just, you know, talk through the decisions and like all the, all, I was just around for basically that whole huge scaling up story it was actually the company was actually profiled by Vern Harnish who wrote the book scaling up it was like in in um, wow. some online magazine it was a really amazing experience so like the only way I would have figured out entrepreneurship was that I got around it like I got to go hang out and I worked shoulder to shoulder with the CEO of a real company I got to see how he talked to clients I got to see how he ran things I get to see how he structured his life I got to see how he built systems like I was in it I was eyeballs deep in it every day and, and it just, yeah, that was, that was the thing that changed my life. Cause it, it basically, it was an insanely massive growth period. Like there was things that I learned that you could only learn by osmosis. I could have read a thousand books and I have, I love business books, but I could have read them a thousand times over and not learned what I learned from just hanging around with somebody who's doing it. So anyway, yeah, once I started working for that agency, I, I didn't stick around as an employee for more than a year. I, I went out and started my own thing, which he helped me do. And then we were just friends from that point on. So even after I left, I still got to hang around and, and be part of the decision-making and, the, and the, the thought process while I was still building my own thing. So it was an incredible experience. And being around that is what gave me the firm foundation to launch out and know that I could do it, if that makes sense. Because I didn't know up until then that I could. That's amazing. That's amazing. It seems like, did he speak into you? Like, there's always a cheerleader somewhere in your life. So like, who have been some of your biggest cheerleaders that have motivated and inspired you? He's been one occasionally. He has his moments. <laughs> and... uh <laughs> There's been others. Jeff Cohn has been one. In fact, he just, he, he asked me to come speak at his team building event in Long Beach this, like this January. I'm like, you know, like I'll run a panel or something. Um, he's like, no, I see like, I want you to come speak. I'm like, well, about what to like team leaders, you know, like I, they're all my friends and clients. That doesn't mean I need to be speaking to them from the podium about what they should be doing. It's like, it's like, and like he, even he had to cheerlead and go, no, this is what I want you to talk about. Like get, just get up on stage and do it. So there's people like that. Most of them have been clients slash friends that have been my biggest cheerleaders along the way. People that I've gotten to know behind the scenes that go, no, like you go, go write a book, like get it out of your system, go do this, go speak. Yeah. Cause I, I just like, I'm, I'm still, I'm still new. Like I'm new in business. I feel like a newbie. I'm five years in to just like being in the legit business world. And I have thoughts and opinions, but that doesn't make me right you know, if that makes sense. So yeah, I've had people kind of pushing me out into the spotlight faster than I would have gone myself. 
That's awesome. And, you know, with starting any business, the first five years are the trickiest, right? Because you're trying to learn all the strengths, all the weaknesses and all those things. So what what have been some of the the struggles and how have you like bounced back from it or like reframed and kept Mm. moving forward? Okay, well, it's a good thing. So I I mentioned the four bands, right? Uh, I did the same. same, (laughs) It was a mistake, by the way. Three of those bands ended in rehearsing for six months to a year, playing one gig and then breaking up. And I mean, like, classic musician story rehearse in the basement for a year play one gig and then the alcoholic bipolar lead singer goes awol and the band breaks up so anyway so what i what was funny is that i got into business and then immediately made the same mistake so i found myself in four ventures in the real estate space couple like coaching consulting membership and then like jeff Cohn's uh, consulting company and then i was running this little agency basically there wasn't really an agency it was just basically a team that produced my podcast that i was involved in and then i rented out that team to other people when they weren't working for me right well then that you know as demand like people started coming to me going like hey can you launch my podcast can you produce it you know like i see that you built this system or whatever and it like it broke the little system that I had. And I started having to pay more attention to it. I'm like, holy cow, like I'm in four different things. My time is stretched. I felt like I was the one that walked away from every meeting with the mile long to do list because I'm I get stuff done. I'm I'm an executor. I just get stuff done. So I looked at that and I went, OK, I made the same mistake as I did in music. I'm involved in too much stuff. I said yes too many times. Now, what do I do? I'm like, well, if I'm really going to focus something, I wanted to focus on, on the thing that gave me the most ownership and the most potential if it went well. So I got out of pretty much all the joint venture partnership equity agreements that I was in. And just like some, sometimes that meant letting them continue on with the project. Sometimes that meant shutting it down. I was involved in a podcast company now that's like the number one podcast company in financial advisor space, right? I built the operations of that business. And then I'm like, I got to take a step back, take, take the equity, go run with it. And they did, and they did a great job. And I don't regret like giving up part of that because it allowed me to focus on the one thing where I felt like I had the most control. And then on the back end of my main real estate podcast, we still have a rev share agreement in place that makes six figures a year off that podcast. It's like, great. Okay. So maintain that. Those are the only things that I'm really involved in. And so I I cleared up that mistake. It it was a lot of, it was painful in the short term, but ultimately it was one of the best things I've ever done. That's awesome. So I know that there's a lot of entrepreneurs in that realm where, or, you know, the people pleasers that just say yes to everything. Yeah. What would be your recommendation of how do you walk out of something without burning that bridge? That's a really great question. And I managed to pull it off because all the people that I was involved with stuff in are still friends. I think it was, it was putting the success of the venture over my, what I wanted in the short term. So I think it was coming at it from the right point of view is it was approaching them and going, Hey, this is not sustainable for me to like stay involved at the level I have been. But the priority is that if we choose to keep this going, like I'm going to do what's uncomfortable for me for a while to make sure that the venture stays healthy and intact. And let's just find a way to start transitioning me out. And then it was like, okay, you know, like you're willing to take on you know, you're willing to like stay, stay in the shit for a little while longer. You're not just bailing. Right. So I think that was part of it. So a lot of them, you know, one project was put aside one. And then the other two, we just kind of gradually phased out. Like one, we just kind of said, okay, well, let's give the equity back. And then here's my responsibilities and who else takes that. And okay, let's, I even hired somebody for one of them in one, in one case that's still with them. So it was, I think it was just coming at it from that perspective so that they could see, I guess, where my priorities and where my heart was. Maybe that's the best way to put it, that my heart was still in it, that I wanted it to to succeed. 
Mm, gotcha. So you just take it like delicately. Cause I know like some people are freaked out that they stretch themselves so far. They're like, well, I don't know. Cause I'll feel bad if this person says this and this and this. And I'm like, well, it's worse if you stay and like self-sabotage the whole thing, <laughs> you know, it is, it really is. You know, and so so many people are like, how do you plan the exit strategy? You know, on this because like I love them, but I want to get out. And as you know, a lot of entrepreneurs <laughs> I know like yeah. face this battle. So it's really interesting to hear. I know. And now I'm of the mind that you plan the exit strategy before you get in. That's yes. you know, once, once you learn that lesson, then you're like, hmm, before I get into something, let's figure out what happens if we one of us decides to go our separate ways for perfectly normal reasons. Yeah. Right. Totally. And so then you mentioned your book which is micro famous. So, mm -hmm. so your cheerleaders pushed you to, to write that bad boy. Tell me all about it. I wrote the wrong book first. That's a funny part of it. I wrote like a 40,000 word book back in like 2018 or something like that. And then I realized, crap, I wrote the wrong book. It was too, it was just the wrong book for the wrong time. So then I had to go back to the drawing board and go, okay, I needed a book that like laid out my point of view on marketing and the things that I wanted my clients and my friends to know that would eliminate a lot of the frustration and the self-judgment that I saw going around in the speaking, coaching, consulting world. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of self-judgment. And to me, it was coming from a few specific places and just poor expectations and stuff. So I wanted to write a book that, that I wish that my clients would read before they would sign up with me, right? To like to, so that if they did, they would come out with a lot of the same belief system that I did, right? And it would save them a lot of frustration. So that, that was the original idea for the book and it evolved from there. It was the, the original spark of the content itself came from me running this completely accidental split test, basically, right? So I did the same thing that you did with your podcast, which is just, hey, let's just podcast. Like I, my, my first one, I had no idea what the F I was doing. You know, me and my co-host were just like, Hey, let's see if this, I don't know if anybody listened to us. Let's see if this works. We had a, we had a list of people to mail it to. And we're like, all right, well, let's try it. And then a few months later, I started working with Jeff Cohn and we launched the team building podcast, what eventually became that the team building podcast. And what was interesting about it was that my first podcast, Real Estate Uncensored built this like mainstream audience. Like our audience is like the average agent. Great. Cool. Lots of downloads, lots of accolades, lots of attention on social media. Looks great from the outside. And it is awesome. It's fun. But the podcast with Jeff Cohn, the team building podcast, which is aimed at like the super small niche of people in the residential real estate space that are building teams, by the way, have money, don't have a lot of time and love to pay for coaching, right? So that podcast grew a multi six figure company behind it in less than two years events, group coaching, like Jeff never had to like coach individual one-on-one -on -one people. He didn't have to go through that phase. He basically skipped that phase and went right to throwing events and doing scaled up group coaching. Like that's, that's unheard of to just basically skip the one-on-one -on -one coaching phase and go right into that stuff. That's what that podcast did. So I'm like, I'm sitting back going, I'm co-hosting two different podcasts and one's way easier to monetize than the other. And it's the smaller one with no email list and no social media audience and not a lot of attention. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just, it broke my brain and broke everyone's brain. So I just started reverse engineering. Okay, well, what is it about that podcast and the ones that are like it? Why did that work? And why was that so much easier to monetize? And that led to all the, the concepts that ended up in the book. But that was the initial spark of it was just having a split test that I ran by complete accident. That's so interesting. It's all, <laughs> it reminds me of like every single invention that's been found by accident. Like, but there it is, right? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's so awesome. Oh my goodness. And it's yeah, called just getting into action. You know, I try to remind myself of that because I, I tend to be the the analyzer, the one that really wants to think things through, which is fine. But yeah, there's just some times where you got to set the analysis aside and go, I have no idea. I don't know if this is going to work. 
let's just try it. And, and maybe if you're an, you're an analyst, you set a time limit of a few months and say, Hey, if I don't, I'm going to reevaluate this in three months and we'll see how it goes. But until then, I'm just going to jump in without looking at the bottom. There's just times where you've got to do that. How do you get out of your own head like that? I know a lot of people want these answers. (laughs) I'm too, I'm I'm in my head all the time. I don't know. I don't know that I have an answer for that. I'm a, I'm a natural introvert. So I'm in my head all the time. I'm constantly reevaluating my decisions and, and thinking about how I can make things better. And am I on the right track and how can I tweak things and optimize and stuff? So I don't know that that really goes away. If you're that, if you're inclined that way, in terms of like not letting it stop you, I think setting those types of time limits and then, Oh, I'll give you something. Okay. So one of the things that I was judging myself about was for the first few years of the business, I didn't do anything in music. I basically set it aside, shut that part of myself off and said, I'm a business guy right now for the foreseeable future. Right. Mm. And I, I was talking to one of my mentors about it. And he said, well, you've got to strike a deal with yourself. I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, look, if you're focused on the business right now, there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to strike a deal with yourself that when the time is right, you're going to bring back that part of yourself. And in the meantime, the deal is you don't judge yourself. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So it's, it's striking a deal that, yes, I'm setting it aside for now in exchange for coming back to it later. But the deal is I can't judge myself and self-criticize in the meantime for the fact that I'm not putting a lot of energy into what used to be a huge part of my life. He's like, yes, the key is you got to let the self-judgment go. And I think that's where if you're, if you're like an analyzer type that struggles to get into action, which I don't get the impression that's you, but it may be people in the audience, that will help is like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing but I'm going to strike a deal with myself that until I know whether it's going to work or not, I'm not going to judge myself for the decision that I made or how it's going or anything like that. Like zero self-judgment, just do it and see how it goes. That's awesome. I'm kind of the same way. So in, in my realm of being, I like to say in my realm of being, I'm like, I was like, Pam, how do you just like take risks and not worry about anything? I'm like, honestly, it's like when you jump into a pool, you just hold your nose, close your eyes. And just like, I just know one thing, right? Like when you, when you do that and you jump into a pool, you always float back up. Right. Right. So in my realm, I'm like, listen, the universe always has your back. If something doesn't go right, then you do something else. But at least you're like, Hey, I tried it and this didn't work, but at least we're going to, you know, not let's not go this way, but let's go that way. Right. The universe will always float you back up to the surface. So that's what I always feel like you had that belief system from a young age. Yeah, because I I was an underdog, right? Like, so my parents came to the US when I was five years old. So I watched my parents with no family, not knowing how to speak English, no job security here, nothing. And just like came from scratch because my grandmother put their names in the visa lottery. So what happened was they, you know, they didn't know. So they didn't really save to come here. And my brother was a newborn and I was five. And so they watching them, my dad worked three jobs. My mom's trying to work from home, whatever she can, because we were so little watching them build something for themselves, seeing that is like, okay, anything is possible. Some things, you know, my dad did, he tried it. He didn't, he didn't like, he's like, Oh, okay, cool. This works. This doesn't work. But then, you know, he was working three jobs and then the owner of the business, the restaurant that he worked at gave him a down payment to go out and buy a business. Oh, that's awesome. You know, he was like, Soko, the way you build wealth in America is one of two ways. A, you own your own business. B, you own real estate. It's like, I know you don't have the credit history to buy real estate right now, but at least go out and buy a business. Here it is. And he gave him a down payment. These opportunities came from my dad trying and just folding his nose, jumping in and knowing that God has had his back because, you know, it's. Yeah. I'm wildly jealous because my, my parents, despite being competent and their life was 
just fine, you know, and they succeeded beyond what they probably thought, uh, you know, when they were younger was possible. They didn't do a great job of passing that mentality along. I have friends like that, that, that are a lot like you, that just for some reason, some events in their childhood instilled that belief that yeah. it's all going to work out. I was raised in such a weird religious background that it was like, Hey, if you don't get all of your eyes dotted and your T's crossed, bad things happen. Right. And so I had like all of that stuff going into the business world. And so the whole move fast and break things, none of, like that was very outside of my comfort zone. I'm like, like I was an A plus student, you know, like let's, you know, I, I want to have my ducks in a row. Uh, and then you get out into this weird wild west of like coaching and consulting and speaking. And there are no systems. Everybody's yeah. just doing random stuff. And, and I love it. I love it now, but I had to learn to get comfortable with it. And it wasn't comfortable at first because you can't be that person that has to always have all the T's cross and the eyes dotted. It just doesn't work out here in the wild west of entrepreneurialism. So I had to get comfortable with that. And I think there's a lot of people out there like me that didn't have those great foundational experiences in their childhood to learn that everything's going to be okay. It feels very like on the edge, like I'm on a tightrope and one, one wrong move one way or the other, and I'm going down. That's more of the mentality that I grew up with. Right. And it's so yeah. interesting to see how so many things are correlated, right? Like I didn't know, you know, things that you get instilled in, in yourself at such a young age. Like what I didn't know up until this year was that your subconscious programming begins when you're born until you're seven years old, you're in theta state. Mm, yeah. And that gets yeah. embodied in your belief system literally for the rest of your life. And then you got to learn to unprogram that later down the line, <laughs> you know, but I was like, this is yeah. so fascinating. You know, it's just so interesting how that all plays out. It's, it's, yeah. it blows my mind, honestly. And I think about it and I'm like, holy crap. Like yeah. that is, it's also correlated and linked. It's, it's bizarre. It, it is. And yeah, when I, when I think about just the theme of your show, you know, being underdog, there's people that you look at from the outside where you're like, ah, they didn't have any issues and you just never know. I was talking to a client of mine and she's a coach in the productivity space and she deals with like the emotional underpinnings of all this stuff. Yeah. And she shared a story about one of her clients that she was having trouble just putting herself out there and just telling people about her business in an authentic way. And she started diving into, well, what was your childhood like? So, oh, it was great. My parents were amazing. Come to find out her older brother made some offhand comment about, ah, nobody cares what your opinion. Nobody wants to hear from you. She managed to internalize that at like the age of five, six or seven, something young, like you mentioned. And then that haunted her for the rest of her life. An offhand comment that her brother, loving older brother, made. So in spite of having a great childhood and being set up for success by all outward measures, she created, you know, she looked at herself at, you know, kind of as an underdog and didn't think she was good enough, didn't think she was smart enough. Nobody wanted to hear what she had to say, you know, so it's holding back her business. So yeah, so it's like, it's really hard to tell from the outside what people have had to overcome to get where they're at. Seriously. And I learned recently that emotions get trapped in your tissues, like your yeah. muscles and yeah. even in your teeth. I was like, what? Seriously? What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's okay. research around all this. And I'm like, what? So like, my, so my, my hatred of the dentist gets trapped in my teeth. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. It's just so interesting. And it's so fascinating, you know, to see a life experiences lead to another. And I mean, in your agency, so you're focused in the podcast space. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've worked on some pretty incredible podcasts as well. And it's just so interesting to see like the niches and how they, they all play out. What has been like your favorite experience with that business so far like client story or just it in oh, okay 
Okay. So there's a running gag on my show, Real Estate Uncensored. So back in the early days of the podcast, when we were doing a lot of like sales training, we did like scripting exercises and role play. And in the role play, my co-host, Greg, decided that number one, I had a wife who, and then he narrowed down the name. So like Becky or something like that. So I had a fake wife. And then he gave me a kid and then that became kid became two kids and then three kids and then they become overweight and then they became like diabetic and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I was at this event one time in real estate like three years ago and somebody I've never seen before, never talked to before in my life came up and was like, Matt, how's Becky and the kids? Because <laughs> they were in on the joke. They knew it was a joke. Oh, okay. uh, and that was one of the most <laughs> fun experiences and, and just having people come up and know what the inside jokes are, because they've been listening to your podcast for a year. That was, that's a really fun experience because it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre and really cool, especially for an introvert to be able to walk into a place and have people know who you are before you get there. Yes. And it's really cool to have people feel like they know you. So it bypasses all the small talk and it gets right into fun, playful conversations without the awkwardness that an introvert feels when you first start talking to somebody. That's a really cool feeling. We talked about this, but I've been talking more and more about being introverted and just how that plays in with all the coaching, consulting, speaking stuff. It's podcasting is perfect for someone like me as an introvert because I love going into a place and having people already feel like they have a relationship with me because then we can jump into a real relationship really, really quickly. That's a lot of fun. Well, what's really fascinating is like podcasts, it's like they enable you to create an authentic connection and relationship with somebody like before you even meet them. Like you said, you walk into the room, they know what you're about. They know your energy, you know, you know, and then when you get to actually meet them, it's the coolest thing ever. Like this literally happened to me. I walked into this Christmas party and I'm, I'm like, I probably don't know, maybe two people, three people came up to me. It was like, Oh, Pam, Pam Barty. Oh my God. We're connected on social media. And I'm like, like, I listen to your podcast. Like, oh my God. He's so awesome. I love this. And I'm just there like, <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's the most authentic way to build connection. That's why I yeah. love what you do because you're elevating that platform. And it's the coolest thing in the world because those yeah. connections are, I mean, those are invaluable. Like, how are you going to get to, Oh, it's insane. How, like how much marketing are you going to have to pay for to get somebody to get that excited about you and like already feel like they know you and connect with you? Like how, I know. Like, what? Yeah, it's insane. And that's that, and that's just the audience side. That's one side of it. The, the right. side that also gets me excited is the relationship side, because I've been able to connect people because one or both of them had a podcast yeah. that I, I couldn't have really made the connection happen. There wouldn't have been a really a compelling reason to get them on the phone with each other, even though I knew they'd really hit it off. Yeah. So podcasting like this, just the world we're moving to where just about everyone is going to have one, at least in like the coaching consulting space. It's really cool because I can take some of the like, you know, you should really know Pam. Like, I think you guys have hit it off and you should really know each other. I don't know anything beyond that. It's like, great. I can introduce them to you as a podcast guest and you have a lovely conversation and then you just see where it goes. And if I'm right and there's a great connection, great. And all those good, positive feelings come back to me. Because I made the intro, I made it happen. And if it doesn't, no big deal, because you've got a podcast, and it's not a waste of your time to talk to new people. So yeah, like, I I just find that I'm able to introduce so many people in my world to each other, because one of the both of them is a a podcast host, and I just couldn't have made those connections under any other circumstances. It's fascinating. It truly is. And that leads me to my next question for you, Matt, which is what are you up to in the world these days? 
What's new in your realm? We're definitely launching new podcasts all the time. So if anybody's in the coaching, consulting, speaking, experty kind of thought leadery, thought, I think that's a word, thought leadery. If not, <laughs> I'm going to dub it a word, thought leadery space. If you're in that space, you know, just reach out to me. It's getmicrofamous.com. There's a little video about what we do. And, but yeah, Microfamous, the book you can get on Amazon and you can get the podcast as well, where I just go deep on the strategic concepts and stuff. So that's the stuff that I'm excited about. Honestly, Aside from like the promo part of it, what I'm what I'm interested in and excited about is exploring putting all of my content onto Substack on one Substack blog. It's going to be called the Microfamous Field Report. You can already go subscribe now. But as I do these things, where like maybe some of these interesting little side podcasts we were talking about, where you just talk to like interesting interesting people, and you know it maybe is like not very well branded. It's not doesn't have to be a whole big thing that goes on for the next five years. And I want a central location for all that interesting, fun stuff that I'm doing and the cool conversations I'm having in this world, where people can get that all in one central place. So I'm I'm looking forward to like building that out and just kind of seeing where it goes. I love that. I absolutely love that, man. And now you've got to let everyone know where to find you, my friend. Getmicrofamous.com or just hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash getmicrofamous. Awesome. And one final question, which is my favorite. What would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? One last piece of advice. My older self would tell my younger self to go out and interview the most successful people I could get my hands on. If I would have done that before I got into real estate, I wouldn't have got into real estate in the same way. And I think I would have been in in the moment, I would have been more successful then. But more importantly, I would have just built a really good connection with people that thought Matt's cool and smart and up and coming. I want to help him out. And I would have gotten along a lot further. And I would have been in business in my mid 20s instead of my mid 30s. It just would have made everything faster. So just getting around successful people, asking good, intelligent questions. That's what I would tell my younger self to do. That's amazing, Matt. That's amazing. I want to thank you so much for being here today. I'm so grateful for you. And I I, I had a blast too. You're amazing. And I love what you're up to in the world. And just thank you so, so much. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode. Oh,